I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Hey, Plant Strong gang. If you're looking to stock your pantry with ready-to-eat meals that you can make in less than two minutes, I kid you not, our Plant Strong chilies and stews are a lifesaver and your answer. Just this week, I got an email from Tim Carlson, who wrote in to say, Rip, I'm a super busy dad, a volunteer football coach, and a full-time safety compliance officer for my job. My wife is even busier than I am, so it's been a lifesaver to pick up your firehouse chili at my local Sprouts. I'm clearing the shelf every time I shop there. Thanks for making food that tastes great and does my body good. Well, Tim, you are most certainly welcome. I am so glad that you found us at Sprouts. For all of you that don't know, we now have our chilies and stews available at about 3,000 different stores around the country. Simply visit our website at plantstrongfoods.com to find the store closest to you. The Mediterranean plate was inspired by a lot of requests by my followers for Mediterranean dishes that didn't have fish or olive oil or meat. Because a lot of people don't even know how to do Mediterranean without those ingredients. And so I decided I was going to take on that challenge to figure out, well, yeah, you don't have to have fish or meat or even olive oil to do Mediterranean. So I started to, to study what, what are the Greek, Spanish, French, Italian, Middle Eastern recipes that people love and, and make them whole food plant-based. And that was it. it was, that was my inspiration. I listened to my customers, my followers. I listen. I ask them questions. What do you want? What do you want from me? And then they tell me, and then I do it. And that's what they wanted. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate 
for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. It has been said that necessity is the mother of invention, and my guest today, Debbie Adler, epitomizes this phrase. In 2006, she opened Sweet Debbie's Organic Cupcakes Bakery, the first to feature vegan and sugar-free treats. Just a year later, her son was born with many life-threatening allergies, and she took an even deeper dive into nutrition and food-related illnesses. Because of her son's needs, she developed recipes and new baked goods that were not only vegan and sugar-free, but also gluten and allergy-free. And her business skyrocketed. Her son, Sean, is now 14 and doing fantastically well, thanks in large part to his mother's diligence. Debbie has gone on to write three cookbooks, including her latest, The Mediterranean Plate, which is what we discussed today. What's also so great about this book is that when you think of the Mediterranean diet, most people think about fish, oils, lamb, and cheese. However, this book is completely plant-based, but it's also salt, oil, sugar, and gluten-free. And guess what? It's also eye-poppingly gorgeous. Today, we dig through foods that may be familiar to you, but with Debbie's special twist, think gnocchi, masaka, pancakes, and her recipe for feta cheese and soups and so much more. I know that cooking from scratch can be intimidating, but I want you to know that most of these recipes are one-pot recipes, minimizing mess and cleanup, and are super, super accessible. She even provides her recommended equipment and pantry staples to make this adventure as simple as possible. So enjoy this conversation and mouth-watering tour through the Mediterranean Plate with Debbie Adler. Hey, Debbie. Hey, Rip. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Now, have we ever met? No, okay. we have not. You know what? I didn't think that we had, so thanks for um, confirming that. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, so you have really gotten into this whole food, plant-based lifestyle in a major way, haven't you? I have. It's super exciting. And tell me, what sparked all of this passion and excitement for you? Well, I don't know how far back you want me to go. So I will start with my son who was born with severe and life-threatening food allergies. And that was 14 years ago. And I had to deal with figuring out what to eat, what, for, what is safe for him to eat. And that created a, a, a very big research uh, endeavor for me. I was trying to figure out why, why he was born with these allergies, why millions of children are now being born with these allergies. It, it got me down this road of a lot of reading and research. And somebody suggested that I read the China study. And the I, I was already vegan, but 
that my my son is allergic. One of the things is casein, and so it boggled my mind. It was it was so exciting to me that they used casein in the study to figure out that that was the cause of a lot of uh, bad things. Uh, and I realized, wow, okay. And, and then everything else he said about the whole food plant based lifestyle got me. Uh, very excited, and I had to go the whole way. So it was, you know, no salt, no oil, no sugar. That was the addition to my vegan lifestyle. And so I, I came home. I went to a conference um, at the. It was in Anaheim, the International Plant Based Nutrition Conference that's held every year. And I went and I, you know, listened to what they were saying and all the patients that were up on that stage saying they were one day away from bypass surgery. And then they went on a whole food plant-based diet and they didn't have to have the surgery. And I was like, woohoo. And I came home and I, I spoke to my husband, who's a physician and a lot of his patients are diabetic and they have high blood pressure. I said, you have to talk to them about this. And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. They like to take pills. I don't know if they're going to want to do this. I said, all right, you know, I'm just telling you. I Because I, I was like over the moon. And then a year later, a resident of my husband's said, Dr. Adler, I think that we should talk to our patients about a whole food plant-based lifestyle. And he said, talk to my wife. That's what he said. He said, talk to my wife. Because, he, you know, he at that point wasn't really familiar. But I, I started to serve the, the meals the, you know, everything was the, the way that, you know, and everyone was on board because if it's delicious, nobody cares, really nobody cares. And so that was, that was it. And then I started to do the recipes, you know, and putting them online and doing the, the lives and everything. And then a year after I read the China study, the publisher of the China study asked me to do a cookbook for them that was hofu plant-based and allergy-free. So top eight allergy-free. So that was my, my full circle. So you said that your son had these pretty severe food allergies. And at what, at what, at what point in his life did you, did you guys realize that this was an issue? He was one. And I gave him a taste of a frozen yogurt, just dairy frozen yogurt, taste, one taste. And he went into full-blown anaphylaxis which means that several systems of his body were shutting down. So for him, it, he was throwing up and he couldn't breathe. And so uh, we, we called 911 and we went to the hospital and luckily they were able to bring him back. And we went to an allergist after that. And we found out through, through a blood panel that he had a lot of different allergies. However, what we didn't know was that a year later, I gave him a flax cracker and he, same thing. He anaphylaxed to the flax, which is very unusual. That's why it's not even on a blood panel. When they do blood panels, it's the usual eggs and nuts and dairy and wheat. But this was a very unusual allergy uh, to flax and he, flax, he anaphylaxed again to the flax. And same thing, EpiPen, go to the hospital. Um, and so we, we figured it out by the time he was two. And so that was it. We knew he had these allergies. And then uh, we had to avoid uh, all the allergens. I created a bakery around this whole thing. It was Sweet Debbie's. And so it was allergy-free, vegan, sugar-free, by the way. It's sugar-free also. And my, uh, his allergist said, by, by his bar mitzvah, <laughs> she said, by his bar mitzvah, I'm going to have a cure. She promised that he was two. 
She says, by his bar mitzvah, I'm going to have a cure. And, and bar mitzvah is what, 13? 13, yeah, 13. And uh, she came through. By the time he was 10, which was four years ago, she and she's at UCLA and Stanford in conjunction with each other came up with a protocol where they gave the children who have these allergies a little bit of Zolaire, which is a drug for asthma. And they give them the drug twice. It's a, it's a, it's a shot. And then they give them their allergens in tiny quantities. So it's a multi-allergen protocol. Whereas before they never could do that. They could only do one allergen at a time. So if you had a lot of allergies, so a lot of things, you'd spend the rest of your life desensitizing yourself. So they did five for my son. They did five of his allergens in this protocol. It was a clinical trial and he was able to desensitize to five of his allergens, which was amazing uh, within eight months. And well, so, do, you, do you know what those allergens were? So, yeah. So it was, it was cashew, flax, egg, dairy. And um, the fifth was another nut. Um, I think it was hazelnut. So it was not a cure, but it's, it's called a desensitization. So now that he's 14, this is already four years, he can go out to dinner. And by the way, we never ate out, you know, the first 10 years of his life. We never ate in a restaurant. We never went on a plane. We when, when he went to birthday parties, I always had to bring him a separate cupcake. You know, it was very, very restrictive. And so when this happened, it was like a weight off our shoulders because it was, it was hard to send him to school, you know, to, to worry, you know, what, you know, maybe a kid will give him something unknowingly. What's his name? Sean. Sean. Well, Sean must be very excited that he's desensitized to, uh, to those guys. Um, you, so you mentioned that your, your husband is a, is a MD. What kind of physician is he? He's an internist. Did he go to this, this initial conference with you? No, he had to stay home and watch my son who was very young at the time. I went to one, it was the second one they ever had. It was a while ago. So he stayed home. I wish he had so is he is he is he eating all the food that you are creating? Is he is he on board? Yes, he is. Now he is. Yes. It took a year and it took for his resident to mention it, I have to say. <laughs> well, we know how that is sometimes, you know, sometimes the people that are closest to us were like insignificant others and then they hear it from somebody else and exactly. oh wow, maybe I should check that out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um so, I mean, one of the things that I have to mention here is you have a book that you just launched. It's right here. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's The Mediterranean Plate, plant-based recipes free from gluten, salt, oil, and sugar. Um, and I want to I talk about this today. And this is your third book, right? Yes. Yeah. And so your first book was sweet. Was it sweet, savory, and free? No, the first one was Sweet Debbie's Organic Treats. That was based on my bakery. Mm-hmm. And then the, sec- the second one was Sweet, Savory, and Free. Very good. Yes. And so, and so the Sweet uh, Debbie's Organic Treats, uh, the bakery was that. What what motivated you to do that kind of an entrepreneurial endeavor? Was it uh, so that Sean would just totally be head over heels in love with his mother? Well, it was because I was hungry and I wanted, and, and, this, and the second reason was because there was nothing on the market at the time. Now there is, but at the time, this is, we're going back um, 
you know, years ago, um, there wasn't anything on the market that was sugar-free. That that was that was initially my concern before even Sean was born. Was there was nothing sugar-free without sucralose, and so I I was figuring that out. Um, I actually started my bakery a year before he was born with the sugar-free. It was it was it was not sugar. I never used sugar, vegan and sugar-free, and then. So my motivation was really my sweet tooth because uh, I couldn't find a cupcake without sugar. And then he was born with these allergies. So then I revamped the whole bakery to be allergy free, gluten free for the people who were celiac. And nobody really knows the difference. You don't need the gluten free. It doesn't matter because it's still very good and nobody complains. So my motivation first was being hungry for a cupcake. And then my son having these allergies and then doing my research and realizing there are 15 million kids in the United States alone, uh, let alone around the world, who have these allergies, who cannot have regular, you know, conventional treats. And so I, I figured, you know, you know, I can't, I can't allow a child to have a little rice cake with a candle in it on their birthday. So I have to do something. <laughs> yeah. 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 That doesn't sound very celebratory, does it? No. And so that was my second motivation was to do it for my son, do it for all these kids. And sure enough, business got even better once it was allergy free because they it was there was a real need for it. And is that a is that a, um, a bakery that still exists? Yeah, it's a, a bakery that still exists. It's a commercial kitchen and they uh, deliver and and, you know, they sell all over the, the United States. I ship, deliver, come to your door, whatever you want. <laughs> wow, that sounds pretty, pretty incredibly entrepreneurial of you. Way to go! And and you, and you launched that what year? Well, that was two thousand six. So it was it was like a year and a half before my son was born, and then he was born, and then became allergy free in two thousand nine. So it was a year after he. You know, it was it was when he anaphylaxed in two thousand nine. So he was a year old. Two thousand nine, it became allergy free. Wow, so that's like sixteen year old business you have going on now. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, how much are you involved in the day-to-day -day these days? I'm involved. I'm very involved. Yeah, I still bake. <laughs> I still bake. I do, I do the books. I'm also a CPA, so I do the books. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, good for you. And then, and then, so Sweet, Savory, and Free, that came out in 2017. Exactly. Yeah. 2017. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that was already when I was doing the meals as well. What inspired this new book, the Mediterranean plate and why is it called the Mediterranean plate? The Mediterranean plate was inspired by a lot of requests by my followers for Mediterranean dishes that didn't have fish or olive oil or meat because a lot of people don't even know how to do Mediterranean without those ingredients. And so I decided I was going to take on that challenge to figure out, well, yeah, you don't have to have fish or meat or even olive oil to do Mediterranean. So I started to, to study what, what are the Greek, Spanish, French, Italian, Middle Eastern recipes that people love and, and make them whole food plant-based. And, that was it. It was that was my inspiration. I listened to my customers, my followers. I listen. I ask them questions. What do you want? What do you want from me? And then they tell me, and then I do it. 
And that's what they wanted. I want to dive into a bunch of these recipes. But before I do, I want to talk about some must-haves that you suggest that people have in their kitchen and in their pantry. You also, in this book, you really focus in on kind of the anti-aging aspect of eating whole food plant-based and a lot of the like 18 best anti-aging foods that are out there. And I think that that's really, really smart. But what, what is it that had you focus in on this, you know, healthy skin and, you know, removing the wrinkles and and all that stuff? (laughs) I wonder what it was. I I, I wonder. Well, okay, Rip, I'm going to have to tell you why. Please. I, I just, I turned 60. Say what? Really? That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. If I had to guess, I'd say like 48. Oh, thank wow. you. And, uh, and it, so that was on my mind. Cause when I was writing it, I was, I, I that was on my mind. Oh my God, I'm turning 60. I'm turning 60. <laughs> and so I was thinking, well, I know, I know there are certain foods that are better than others in terms of anti-aging. You know, of course, if you do a whole food plant-based lifestyle, of course, it's going to be good for your body and your skin and everything, but maybe there's something a little bit extra and I just wanted to know because I'm not into surgery. I'm not into anything like that. So I was going to do it with food. I started doing research. And sh- sure enough, there were certain foods, 18, by the way, that I that I found kept coming up over and over and over again in my research. And that those are the ones you see listed at the beginning of the book. And then I use them throughout the book. I try to use them a lot throughout the book. Of course, there are other ingredients I use too, but those are the top 18. And if you do the research, you find that it comes up over and over again, that this is particularly helpful for different, for different reasons for anti-aging purposes. And not surprisingly, some of the foods that made your top 18 list after re- researching this out were asparagus and broccoli and blueberries and avocados and Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cucumbers, kale, lemons. I like that. Yeah. Shiitake mushrooms, pomegranate seeds, spinach, red bell peppers, sweet potatoes, tomatoes, to name a few of the 18. All super delicious. Where do you live, Debbie? I live in Los Angeles. So I like the fact that you are, you're not into the surgeries and the injections and you're more into like whole food plant-based. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yes. love it. Yeah. 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 Good. <laughs> totally. Good. So do you mind, I would love right now to jump into some of the must haves. Uh, you know, you've been doing this a long time and um, accumulated quite a bit of experience. So if I'm going to throw out some, some stuff to you, mm-hmm. and then if you could just like answer whatever feels right. So let's start with herbs and spices. Um, you know, you have a list of herbs and spices. Are there a couple that you want to talk about right now for our audience? For example, I, I could I can start by saying one that caught me. Yeah. Um, on your list was the, and I'm probably not pronouncing this right, yeah. the kala namak, yeah. aka black salt. <laughs> right. That's it's so funny. When I used to, I hardly ever use it because it is a it is a salt. But you know what? It helps. If you want to do, if you saw the recipe avocado toast with beg, oh yeah, rip, yeah, that recipe. I am afraid to show the picture without a disclaimer. 
because some people see the picture without the recipe and they start yelling at me. I thought you were vegan. What are you doing with eggs? And so it's a very scary picture because it looks like a hard boiled egg. And if you read the recipe, you will see that there are no eggs. It's not an egg. I make it with potatoes and a thing called agar agar. Um, and the reason I use colonomic in that recipe, and it's the only recipe I use it in, is because it helps it tastes like an egg. It colonomic has a very sulfurous taste, and it tastes like an egg. So when you, you when you use just a little bit in this recipe, you will think that you are eating a hard-boiled egg. So it is for that reason only that I did make the exception to use a little bit of salt and have it in that recipe. A photo is worth a thousand words. And I'm like, whoa, that is an egg. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what are, what are what besides, besides that for the avocado with veg, what are some of your go-to spices that you would recommend every house has? Or is it just the list that you have here in the book? Well, I, I listed what I use in the book in that list so people would just have it because the worst thing that somebody can do is to start a recipe and not have a, an ingredient because then they get so discouraged and they don't want to do it. They don't want to go to the grocery store. So I always say, please do a little bit of a an inventory, have it, and then you're ready to go. You'll just grab it because then you're more likely to make the recipe. So Whatever I use normally is the cumin, the the smoked paprika. A lot of people don't know you can get smoked paprika, which is so much better than paprika, in my opinion. That's what I like. Um, you know, the ginger, the cinnamon. Um, what do I use? Uh, cardamom, um, coriander. So you know, those, those are my staple, you know, black pepper, you know, very, very simple, basic not nothing too exotic staples that are always in my pantry. So I can always make something that tastes good. Yes. No er herbs and spices can do wonders. W let's move to condiments. So one of the, your condiments that I see is apple cider vinegar. You're, you're a big fan of that. I am a very big fan, very big fan. Yeah. It does so much. Yeah. Like, give me an example. Like, what is well, it something that it does? Well, you can saute in it. It, it you could, you could, um, like people say, well, well, how do I roast vegetables if I don't have oil? Well, pour a little apple cider vinegar on it. It makes it a little salty and, and, and it gives it a little, you know, like a, a zesty taste. Just put it in the oven and you have a gorgeous caramelized roasted vegetable. Um, the, dressings. I put it in all my dressings because it's very mild. In almost every dressing in that book, you will see apple cider vinegar. It's interesting you say that. We were coming out with a commercialized chili, a new commercialized chili to add to the two that we have. And one of the magic ingredients we have in our sweet and smoky chili is apple cider vinegar. It's, it is incredible what it can do for something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also notice, I mean, I, 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 I'm looking at the list right now, but... I'm a huge fan of sriracha sauce. Mm. And uh, that's one of the things you have on this list. I also know that you love making your own. Thank you for saying that because that was the next thing out of my mouth. I, 
highly, highly recommend that people take the time. And it's not hard. Just take a half hour out of your day to make my sriracha sauce because it's nothing. It, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm just trying to say that the ones in the store, they're going to have the salt and maybe the oil and maybe even sugar. This does not. Mine does not. And it is so much better. It's I, I can't really do justice with words. You just have to taste it. And so I, I, I hope that people take the time to make it because it is so good. And people say, oh, you have to bottle it up, you know, and, and sell it. You know, maybe I will one day. But right now it's in the book. People can make it on their own. And it is really good. And it really adds a lot. It heightens the taste. If you want a little bit of a kick to what you're making, it is fantastic. Well, I know chapter three, you start out. I mean, chapter three is all about staples from scratch. Yes. And and sriracha is one of the first staples from scratch that you recommend people make. Yes. What about nutritional yeast? What's your opinion of nutritional yeast? Are you a fan of it? Do you use it in a lot of your I, stuff? I do. I do. I don't know what uh, what's bad about it. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's bad about everything, but <laughs> it's um, it's something I really depend on. I do it. I do use it a lot. Yes. Yeah. What's what? What's what? What are one of your recipes that you like using nutritional yeast in? I have a, a spinach croquette uh, where I have a breading. So it's like a combination of um, cornmeal and nutritional yeast. It comes out really crispy. Uh, I have some uh, dressings. Uh, anything where I want to add a little bit of a cheesy taste, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in there. Okay, I'm moving on now to nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. You have your mind, your nuts and seeds. And of course, in your list here, you have the omega-3 all-stars, you have chia seeds, hemp seeds, and and flaxseed that your son can now consume, I would imagine, a little bit. Yes, he can. There's no limit to how much flaxseed he could have now. It's a miracle. Gather your uh, gather your grains, flowers, and powders. Yes. Um, one of the things that, because I read all your descriptions for all of them, and one that really I found fascinating was buckwheat flour. Oh. And, 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 you know, in there, you talk about how it's neither a grain mm-hmm. and it's not made of wheat, but it's actually really, it's a fruit. I'm like, it what? is a fruit. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yes. That's it, wild. There are so many miscategorizations of, of things that we have grown up to think are one thing and they are another because, you know, when you're writing a book, you want to not make mistakes. And so I did my research into every grain I was using. And sure enough, I was blown away too. It is a fruit. Buckwheat is technically a fruit. And why it's called buckwheat, I don't know, because people automatically think it's wheat. It's not. And so that makes it gluten-free. And it's all, it's also very healthy, as you know. And I, I tend to tell people to use light buckwheat flour in my recipes because it's not as strong. It's very mild. So if you get the light... If you can't get the light, just buy bar, just buy it, buy, buy the groats, buckwheat groats, and just use a coffee grinder and make your own flour. That's how I, that's how I do it. Do you do the same thing with oat? Because I love making my own oat flour. I do. I yeah. absolutely do. I make my own oat flour. Yeah, because it has to be, um, you know, I like it to be organic and gluten-free. 
So I, I mean, I don't have to be gluten-free myself, but I just like it that way. I get the best, you know, oats there are on the market. And, you know, we have to worry about the, you know, the glyphosate, There's, they found glyphosate in a lot of the oats products. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I'm sure you know everything. And they, they have certain uh, companies that have, you know, like glyphosate free on the packaging, you know? So I only go to those companies because when you buy oat flour, you don't know their source. And so I make sure that I get my oats. I know where it's from. I know it's clean. And then I make it myself in my coffee grinder. I highly recommend. I don't use I don't use it for coffee. I use it for my flour. I make my own flowers. Yeah. I'd say every Sunday morning I make uh, oat pancakes that are um, delicious. What kind of, do you use um, Bob's Red Mill gluten-free extra thick or do you know what kind of oats you use? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yes, I do use that. Yeah. Um, But there are other companies that have the, um, the branding about it being clean that that Bob's doesn't have, but yeah, I know I, I've used Bob's Red Mill. Um, that that's that's certainly a very good company. But there are other ones that I've researched that are um, you know clean, straight from a farm that where they watch it and they don't use the the pesticides. And um, also because because usually oats are grown with wheat on the farm. Um, if you have to worry about um, cross contamination, if you have to worry about gluten, you can't buy regular oats because the cross contamination is going to be there. Like oats naturally are gluten free, but because it's grown with wheat, the, the wind blows and they're all of a sudden wheat the, the wheat gets on the oat. So I I just I just you know I, I you know make sure that I get it from the companies that don't do that that grow them separately. Yeah, so you have three three flowers that are last in your list of um, gathering your grains, flowers, and powders. They're sor- sorghum, tapioca, and teff. Do you have a preference with those those three, or does each one serve a different purpose? Okay, each one is in my uh, my gluten free all purpose flour mix at my bakery. And that's what I tell people to put together for themselves if they want really good baked goods that are gluten-free. The recipe for my my flour mix is in the front of the book in the in the you know, from scratch. Yeah. And so the millet, the tapioca, the teff, sorghum, and quinoa flours that I mention are part of a mix that goes into the baked goods that I make at home and at the bakery because I did a lot of research. And the ones at the time when I was starting out with the bakery, the gluten-free flours were terrible. They were grainy and they were all made of uh, rice. And that's like not the best thing to have all the time is, you know, rice, rice, rice. And so I I decided I wanted to have a very healthy, high protein, gluten-free flour that, that was, you know, that, that tasted really, really good but it was smooth. That didn't have that grittiness that a lot of gluten-free flowers have. And so that's what I came up with the sorghum, the quinoa, the teff, the millet, and the tapioca. You need a starch and gluten-free flowers. You need a starch. And that's why I came up with the tapioca. So if I wanted to make a waffle or, or pancake using uh, one of these gluten-free flowers, or mixes, do you have a, like, what would you recommend I use on Sunday mornings? 
Well, you would have to put it all together. You would oh, have. Oh, to- I do. I do know that. I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like in the in the proportion that I tell you, because uh, um, if you do more of one than other, it may not taste as good. Like, let's say, let's take the quinoa, for example. Let's say you just have the quinoa flour on hand and you go, oh, I'm just going to do that. It's not going to taste good because quinoa flour by itself is not going to taste good. You're going to have to, because that it's a very strong flour. So you're going to have to mix it in, in proportion to the sorghum, to the millet, to the, you know, to the, it's a very specific baking is a science where cooking is not so much cooking is more, Oh, we could be creative here and there, but baking is a science. And if you, if you, if you're not, and believe me, I'm not the most scientific person, but believe me, I've made so many mistakes that I, I realize I, you do have to do do it scientifically and measure. Um, so I would say, look at the uh, recipe for the Sweet Debbie's Organic um, Flour Mix. Just have it in your freezer. Like do it once. I know it's a pain in the neck, but do it once and keep it in your freezer. And then use that for your oats. Your your um, you know, and then add oats, and and then do it for your pancakes. It'll be really got good. It. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, all right, moving on to sweeteners because you know if you, you had your own bakery, you, I think yeah, I, I I read that you basically live for sweets, <laughs> or maybe at some point in your life you did. Yeah, no, I still do. And, and it sounds like your your sweetener of choice is coconut nectar. Yes, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Why? Why? Why that as opposed to something else? I've been through them all. You know, I started my bakery with xylitol at the time back in 2006, it was the only thing that I could find that wasn't sucralose on the shelves. And I used that and it was easy because it was one-to-one ratio to sugar. That was a digestive nightmare. You know, it's, it's very hard on your system. It's one of those sugar alcohols. And I moved on to stevia and stevia. Also people didn't like stevia. They just have a problem with stevia. And I didn't want people complaining. So I started to look into maple syrup, but maple syrup is a high glycemic sweetener. It's healthier than sugar, but it's also high glycemic. So you're going to get a high spike in your blood sugar if you have maple syrup. So I found out about coconut nectar. Coconut nectar is extracted from the coconut tree and it's at low temperatures. So it's low glycemic. And it maintains the enzymes, minerals, and vitamins that it naturally contains because it's extracted at low temperatures mm-hmm. and it's delicious. And that was it. It was just because it was delicious and had those qualities and I could use it like maple syrup. Interesting. Is it pricey? It is. It, it, it is a little pricey. It is more expensive than maple syrup, but it's, I think it's worth it. Right. What, what's your opinion? Because I know you have this down on your list. Um, and it's something that, that I become a big fan of is, uh, our dates like medjool dates. Yes. Yes. I do that too. I use those too. Yes, absolutely. I, I use those a lot. If, if I make a crust, if I make a, you know, um, like a granola bar or a, um, like in my other book, I have like a chocolate pudding in a granola crust. It's held together with the medjool dates. So, yeah. So I do use medjool dates a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. We like the fact that, you know, with dates, you're basically getting a whole food, Exactly. All, all the vitamins and the minerals and the fiber, you know, you know, the story there. Yes. Yeah. Um, good. All right. Let's, let's move on. Um, 
canned goods, you know, you're, you have a, a, a list there, but three that you really are a fan of are pumpkin puree, uh, diced tomatoes and, uh, and chickpeas. Anything you want to add to, to that? Well, I think that people think of pumpkin as something to only have in October and November, but I think my point was you could have it all year round because it's, it's on the shelves all year round now. And I would take advantage of that because instead of oil, I use pumpkin puree mm. in a lot of my baked goods. I, I, I think it's good to always have it because there's so many different uses for it. You know, in addition to pumpkin pie, you can use it as a substitute if you want to make a muffin just instead of oil, just put in a third of a cup of pumpkin puree. It doesn't taste like pumpkin. Pumpkin really doesn't have taste unless you you add a cinnamon to it or pumpkin pie spice to it. So it's a very good all year round thing to have. Yeah. Well, you, you say it adds nice moisture and bulk. Is it something that I could add to my pancakes on Sunday morning? Absolutely add it to your pancake. Absolutely. Well, what do you use now? to add to your pancakes? Oh, I use a combination of applesauce and mush banana. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good too. But if you don't want it to taste like banana, let's say, let's say you get tired of that, use the pumpkin puree. Yeah. Good. To- well, this Sunday, it's going to be pumpkin puree. Thanks to Debbie. Uh, so let's talk some tools. And then finally, people will get into some of your incredible recipes. You know, the three things that you recommend everybody must have, and correct me if I'm wrong here, are the right size baking tins, a food processor, and a high-speed blender. Absolutely. This is how I think of it, because this is very important, because I know people do have budgets, and I, and I of, of course, I honor that. But if you are committed to this lifestyle, there are certain things you have to have to be able to, you know, enjoy the food. And if you just spend whatever it is for the, for the, you know, you know, the food processor, you don't have to have the vitamins. Okay. That's very expensive, but get a, get a good blender, you know, make, you know, to make a smoothie. It's a, it's a good investment. You know why? Because it's less than a, 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 a healthcare bill. If you, you know, if you go to the doctor once, you're going to spend more money on being sick than these, all these things, these, these food processors and these uh, things in the, the kitchen combined. So if you invest in your health, that's going to be less money than the visit to the doctor when you get sick because you're not eating this way. And that's what I tell people because um, they don't think of it that way. They just see the dollar sign. Oh my God, I can't spend you know $400 on a blender. You go to the doctor, it's going to be way more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And then, and then you have a very, very kind of extensive list of different, um, different tools and knives and slicers uh, that you recommend people have. I think it's a really helpful section. All right. I want to dive into the recipes. And this is, how I, this is the game that I'd like for you to play with me. All right. I'm going to – so you've broken this up into I think it's – let me just – 10 different sections, the recipes. So I am going to throw out one, maybe two of the recipes, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about them. And these are just ones that in looking at the six or seven or eight that you have in each section intrigued me, and I think that our audience will would love a little bit more elaboration on. Okay. Sound, sound good? 
Yeah. Okay. We'll start with staples from scratch. Okay. And um, what, what I really, I mean, I love this section where you've got, you know, make your own almond milk and vegetable stock. And obviously we've already talked about this sriracha sauce, but one of the things that really caught my attention here was your feta cheese. And, you know, I think that that that's one, one thing that a lot of people miss is that feta cheese on top of salads or different dishes. Yeah. So how do you do a feta cheese that looks, and I would imagine tastes so incredible. I take firm tofu and I, I just let it soak in a combination of apple cider vinegar, oregano, um, uh, black pepper and thyme, I think it is, or whatever, whatever the other, it's an herb, uh, forgot what the, what the other one was. And you let it soak overnight or, or a few hours, let it seep into the tofu and then you cut it up or you can cut it up first and then, and then soak it. So, uh, it, it really gets in there and it's very easy. You just, you know, dump out the liquid and you crumble up the tofu and you have a very, uh, zesty tasting feta cheese that is it's so satisfying yeah no the only the only um spices i see in here you have dried oregano dried thyme and then some freshly ground pepper right and then, and then of course we have to have and then of course we have to have our apple cider vinegar and our freshly squeezed lemon juice in there yes yes right that was the other what a, what a, what a what a great combination yeah um tell me this so where did you learn to cook and become a chef? Was it, is it self-taught? Did you go to school? Yeah, it's self-taught. It's, it's definitely self-taught. Um, yeah, it's just by doing and doing and doing and learning just by your mistakes and, and figuring it out, figuring it out what, what tastes good and what doesn't taste good. And it, it takes a lot of work. It's trial and error, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, I say this in the nicest way, so do not take this the wrong way. Um, are you a control freak? In terms of what? <laughs> <laughs> do, doing everything yourself. And the reason why I say that is because I looked at this book yeah. and you self-published. Oh. You wrote it. You did the recipes. You also took all the photographs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I haven't seen seen <laughs> something that's been completely done like from top to bottom, especially like a cookbook in forever. And so that's why I asked the question. If oh, yeah, that's a very it. good point. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Okay. Um, my, <laughs> yeah, it, it probably does look like I'm a control freak because of that. You're right. It does look like this by Debbie Allen, this by Debbie Allen, this by Debbie Allen. I wasn't like that before, but the I did two other books and I was not like that. I did farm it out. You know, I did have a photographer. I had a, a food stylist. I had a publisher, um, whatever else I had. But for this one, this was written during the pandemic. And so I was a little bit more uh, at home and I had time to learn other skills. And so I always wanted to learn photography. And as you know, photography is very expensive. Um you know, because I, even though I had a publisher, I had to pay for my own photography. It was a freaking fortune. So I decided that I was going to learn photo- food photography so that I could take my own pictures. Like, why not? This is what I do for a living. I'm just going to learn it. So I took the summer of 2020 
to learn how to do food photography. And so now I feel a little bit more in control. Like if you, if you want to use that word controlling or have control over my product, because then I don't have to, you know, hire somebody for tens of thousands of dollars. I could do it myself. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and, and, and I, I was just amazed, like these photographs look like they're done by an absolute pro. And, and so you, you did a phenomenal job with all these photos. I mean, really nicely done. Um, all right, let's move on to breakfast that stack up. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously we've already talked about your avocado, uh, toast with veg. Right. Uh, and then for, for people that are able to watch on YouTube, you can see I'm holding up a photo of it right now from the book and it literally looks like an egg with right. the, Hard yeah. boiled, you know, the yolk and everything. Yeah. I can smell it through the page. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And then, but, but the one that I would love for you to talk about, and it really caught my attention because as you've, we've already been talking about, you know, I'm a huge fan of pancakes. Yeah. And that is your maca cado souffle pancakes that, that don't even have any, what is it? Eggs in them makes them rise or whatever. Well, the apple cider vinegar makes them rise. Okay. 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 They, yeah. Yeah. So it's matcha, it's, ma, it's matcha cado. So matcha being matcha tea, matcha green tea. And the cado is the avocado. And the souffle is the apple cider vinegar because that makes them rise. That makes them fluffy. It makes them fluffy. So the matcha is because I love matcha. Every morning I have my matcha latte. So I'm a big fan. And I decided, well, to, you know, to do something with matcha other than have it in my latte, I'm going to see if it goes well in pancakes because it's a powder. So add the powder. So it, it was delicious. It was so fun. Like it has that little, you know, that, you know, rustic matcha green tea taste and the avocado makes them really soft and the apple cider vinegar makes them fluffy. And I thought, oh my God, this is a revelation. So I was very excited about that one. Yeah, and you use a combination of almond and light buckwheat flour in there as well. Yes, that's right. Yes, and I love and I love the the Pantone of them. That that kind of that light green. Yeah, it's like, it's like green eggs without ham. <laughs> right. um, or I should say, yeah, something like that. Uh, okay, let's move over. Let's move on to bowls that bowl you over. Okay. So uh, you didn't know you were going to get quizzed so hard on your book, did you? <laughs> yeah, I wrote it in 2020. So, okay, let's see how much I remember. Well, that's okay. I'm happy to, you know, help you out here. And, you know, we're, we're not going to hold anything against you here. So uh, I loved all these bowls and these soup ideas and the minestrones. The one that, that I was like, oh, I want to have that tonight is the Fasolada. It's a white bean soup. Oh my God, Rip. It's so funny. You said that I made that last night. Wow. And my husband was over the moon excited. It was so delicious. Yeah. I made that last night. It's so funny. You picked that out of all the soups. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's very easy. White beans are very highly nutritious. As a matter of fact, the ancient Greeks, it's a Greek soup. Fasolada is a Greek soup. The ancient Greeks thought that white beans were the best thing you could eat. So it became their staple. White bean soup became, fasolata became their staple. And it is so easy to make and it is so filling because it has the sweet potatoes and the white beans and the celery 
and it has a little bit of miso for saltiness. And when you cook it for the 20 minutes, the sweet potato adds sweetness to it. So you don't even have to add any, you know, whatever coconut nectar, whatever the, the sweetness comes from the, from the sweet potato. And then you take two cups out. Once it's been cooking for 20 minutes, you take two cups out, you blend them and you put it back into the soup and it has like a creaminess and a, it becomes thicker because you do that. Delicious. And it's like well, a meal. Well, I'm glad I picked that one and that you made it last night. I know. How, how fortuitous for both of us. It is fortuitous. And then you have this European cabbage soup and a creamy potato and mushroom. Mm. All right. I'm moving on now to, this next section, it's called Let Us Build a Salad. And lettuce is spelled like L-E-T-T-U-C-E. Very, very smart on your part. I, I have not always loved salads, but I'm getting to the point now where I absolutely adore salads. I've oh. become a huge fan. And last night, for example, uh, I made a huge salad, usually two of your favorite ingredients, which again, this is kind of funny how... We're kind of connecting like this, arugula and, and, and kale. And it was the dinosaur kale. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the, the salad that I'd love for you to talk about right now that uses both those is your Moroccan sweet potato salad. Right. Um, if you can, if you can remember that one, I can, I can certainly. Yeah. I, I think that has the pomegranate seeds on top too. Absolutely does. Yes. Yes. Mm -mm -mm. So Yeah. It's, it's just one of those salads that has a lot of chunkiness to it. It has the pomegranate seeds for a little sweetness. It has a nice uh, vinaigrette, very simple vinaigrette on top. Uh, you can put it together and then have it in the, in the, in the fridge for a week and you can eat it all week. It's not going to go, it's not going to get, uh, because of, because the arugula and the kale are so sturdy you could uh, count on it, even with dressing on it, to still not wilt for the entire five days. You know, if you just want to grab salad and go to work, you, you have it. Uh, it's it's just I like I like having really interesting toppings in my salad, and so one of those uh, I happen to like are sweet potatoes, like chunks of sweet potatoes. Yeah, well, and I love I love that combination of the arugula and that dinosaur kale the sweet potato, the pomegranate. And then you also have some nice thinly sliced purple onion in there too, that just kind of comes in just when you need it. Um, looks amazing. Okay. I'm moving on now. So choosing sides, you say how sometimes, you know, you like sides better than the mains, mm -hmm. which I, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, um, and I was looking through this and I was like, oh my gosh, you've got the chorizo pilaf and you've got the pumpkin polenta. But you know what I zeroed in on was the amaranth tabbouleh. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I haven't had tabbouleh in a long time. And I, I, I really am like just yearning, jonesing for that taste. Wow. Of a, of a tabbouleh. Um, and, you, and you use amaranth. As the grain. I want. I wanted to do something different because you know tabbouleh is tabbouleh, but I I don't think I've ever seen amaranth tabbouleh. So I, I like I like doing unique things, and amaranth is a very first of all a lot of people don't even know about it. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that it is a very underrated grain. They did an entire segment, like an hour, 
Dr. Sanjay Gupta did an entire hour on CNN on amaranth and talked about how amaranth can save the world from hunger because that's how healthy it is. And I mean, anyway, I, I like to use it and people, I want to introduce it to people because it is so nutritious and very delicious. And it's a teeny tiny grain with a big, mighty, a uh, lot of, uh, of mm. nutrition. So uh, I decided that since it was teeny tiny and ta tabula would work well with it, I did that with, I did the tabula with the amaranth. And you also have, you recommend two Persian cucumbers. What is a Persian cucumber? How is it different? Okay, it, I do Persian cucumbers because they have no seeds. They're very long and they have no seeds. What's that mean? So that means they're sterile. <laughs> Never thought of it that way, but I just, you know, the seeds and the cucumbers bother me. And I guess because I don't know, I just like it to be just the, the cucumber and they're very, you know, they're very thin and, and long and I just, I just like them better. Hey, I could go there. I like, I like, I like Persian. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, we're mo we're moving on now. Oh, and you also there you've got a garlic spice lima bean hummus and a spinach crew uh, croquettes. Is that how you pronounce Croquette, it? Yeah, uh -huh. Croquettes, yeah. Well, let's talk about entrees into the world or entrees to the world. In this one, again, I had a really hard time, but there's two that I'd love for you to talk about. One is, and help me because it's <laughs> probably not going to pronounce it right. Moussaka. Yeah, moussaka with yes. So the moussaka is a uh, also a Greek dish. I use I do it with a mushroom bechamel, which uh, is on top. And the moussaka I would say is like a Greek lasagna. And so instead of meat, which is the typical thing you would put in a moussaka, is like they put in ground lamb. Instead, I use lentils. And so we layer it with eggplant, and then we top it with a potato. Uh, like a, um, uh, it's a combination between a russet potato and cauliflower. So I, I, you know, I steam that, make it into a mashed potato, and then on top of the potato, I have the mushroom bechamel, which is the, it's the highlight of the dish. Like if you just say bechamel to people, they just start to drool. And so the mushroom bechamel is the the mushrooms. It's coconut aminos. It's um, a little bit of flour, and then you just um, stir it up, heat it up, and you just make a roux, and then that become, and then it, it sort of um, thickens up because of the heat and the and a little bit of gluten free flour, and then you put in the mushrooms, and it is absolutely out of this world. You could put it on anything. You could put it on sweet potatoes, like mushroom bechamel makes everything better. So I put it on the moussaka. And people go crazy over it, as a matter of fact. Well, I can see why in more ways than one. And when you said that this uh, classic Greek dish is akin to a shepherd's pie, you had me. Oh, shepherd's, really? pies, shepherd's pie are one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. And then the one thing where you almost lost me, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a go was the eggplant. I've never been a fan of the eggplant. Oh, you don't have to use it. You can use uh, zucchini slices. If you if you like that better, you can use other things. You could use sweet potato as uh, like thinly yeah. sliced as the layering. You don't have to use the eggplant. 
well, I want to start to like the eggplant. So I think I need to, I think I need to try it more. Okay. You know, what would you, do you want to talk about, I'd love for you to talk just a little bit about either the creamy tomato risotto or the roasted veggie paella. Either one of those to me sound really phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I mean, risotto is, you know, obviously an Italian dish that is, I would have to say, labor intensive, I I have to admit, because you're constantly adding in the veggie broth every half hour. You're not pouring all the cups in all at once. To get that creaminess with the arborio rice, you need to sort of coax it out. The, um, you know, that that risotto is a very creamy, oh, there you go. Um, So this is, I would have to say, probably the most labor intensive, but it's totally worth it because I love risotto. And so every, you know, um, and, and tomatoes are, are so, so delicious with it. And you're just uh, stirring, stirring, stirring. It comes together, um, I'd say, you know, within like 40, 45 minutes. And it, you, you have a really, really good risotto that that's whole food plant-based, no oil. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Um, all right, let's go on to, Oh, the, Possibilities. Mm, yes. Right? Nice little play on the word possibilities there with pastabilities. I've always been a huge fan of pasta. Love it, love it, love it. One of my favorite things is gnocchi. And so I want you, you have a sweet gnocchi Florentine. Here it is. That just looks absolutely divine. Mm. Yes. And I, t- I put a pesto sauce on it because I love pesto. I don't know. Some guys like marinara. I like pesto. So it's, it's very easy. I, people get intimidated very quickly. So um, all you do is, you know, I, I think you uh, boil the potato um, and roll it into little uh, ropes and then just cut them into one inch little pieces and then you boil it. And then it actually rises to the top. And when it's done, it tells you when it's done, but when it rises to the top of your pot and you take it out and you, you know, you put it, you know, whatever sauce you want. I, I use a pesto and um, very easy to make. Don't be intimidated. Like a lot of people are intimidated by things. I'm just saying it's delicious. It's so delicious. I always forget to make more because, you know, the little tiny pieces that you can eat like the whole thing in one serving. It's just so good. Well, and as you say in your book, they're like billowy, pillowy little puffs, right? Exactly. Or poofs, and they just, they go poof. I, I'm amazed how much gnocchi I can eat in one sitting. Exactly. Always. Exactly. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the, the next section that I want to ask you a question from is basic needs. Mm, bread. You know, you, you've got a cauliflower crust flatbread, a kalamata focaccia. Mm-hmm. Um, rosemary flatbreads. But mm-hmm. what I want you to talk about, because I love on the weekends, I love doing bur- homemade burgers, uh, you know, plant-based burgers. Okay. So, and you have yam buns in here. Yes. That just is yes. like, oh my gosh. I yeah. know. And it no yeast, just a few ingredients. It's gonna be great on your burger with your burgers. <laughs> yes, that's a perfect use. To, yeah. to put your burger in between that. Oh, that's yeah. making me hungry. Just thinking about that. Yes. It's perfect. Because it's, you know, obviously it's a little sweet because it has the sweet potato or yam, whatever you use, it doesn't matter. Perfect. And um, how long does it take to make these? Like, are we talking, yeah, about 50 minutes, I think it says. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 
It's not long. You could freeze them. If you make like two batches, you freeze them and the good fro, you know, you just toast them when you need them. So you have it and, you know, cut them and slice them in half and you could use it as a, you know, your bread for whatever you want to put in, in the middle. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to do the yam buns. Uh, spread the love mm -hmm. is the next section. Yes. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of great hummuses and uh, noshes. Um, but the thing that, the thing that I want to, that I zeroed in on, because it also was actually one of my favorite movies and my kid's favorite movie is Ratatouille and Sean loved it. Yes. Um, so is Ratatouille considered like a, is it a, is it actually a dip? I don't think I've ever made Ratatouille before. Oh yes. This is dip. Yeah. I mean, of course uh, you could just put it on a salad or, you know, on a sandwich as a condiment, but it, it's considered a, a dip and a French dip. And it has all the zucchinis and the eggplant and the, you know, the tomato, and it, it just comes together beautifully. You know, when you, when you let it come, you know, sit in that pot together, they, they commingle and get cozy and it's, it's really delicious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they're, they're doing they're, they're they're doing a lot of spooning together. All yeah, those, exactly. All those uh, veggies. Yes. Yeah, I think I think between the the uh, moussaka and the ratatouille, I might be able to kick my aversion to eggplant. Oh, okay. You know, it's not the, the worst thing in the world not to eat eggplant, but yeah, if you if you want to do that, that I would that would be very interesting if you you know let me know <laughs> if you could stand it in the moussaka or. or tolerated in in the ratatouille yes yes all right so closing out your 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 wonderful book we have creme de la crumbs right and obviously you know knowing your your love or for sweets your sweet tooth and how it rules you um you know you have one two you have about five recipes here and from pistachio chip cookies to chocolate orange biscotti, uh, caramelized berry galette, galette lettes. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, because they're small. A galette is usually very big. Yeah. I, I make them little tiny ones. So they're little lettes. Yeah. And then you have luxurious uh, granola bars. But the one that I want to talk about, because I could literally live in a pool of chocolate, <laughs> is your chocolate fudge halva brownies. Here oh they are. Oh my God. Yes. You picked a good one. Yes. Oh, those are amazing. And yes, I mean, you say that and there you've got some tahini in there, sesame seeds. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, cacao, coconut nectar. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they're very fudgy. And mm. the tahini makes I don't know if you've ever had halava. Have you ever had halava? It's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I grew up loving halava. And so the thought of putting it in a brownie just got me very excited. So that's why I decided I'm going to do it for this book. And oh, the, the tahini has a little bit of that halava flavor, yeah. which takes it over the edge. It's just so good. And it's fudgy. It's everything you want a brownie to be. How much of a labor of love was this book? For you. It was very, very laborious because um, I knew I was going to do it myself and I just want to do an experiment. Like I said, it was during the pandemic and it was just 
an experiment to see if I could self-publish, you know, um, and it took me a very long time because, as I said, I started in March of 2020 and we're already here, October 2022, and it's just coming out now. So obviously I spent a lot of time on it. And so doing every aspect of it was I, like I, I, I didn't I didn't I enjoyed it. I did not like it because I enjoyed learning all aspects of the, the, the photography and learning the graphic design. I did the graphic design. I had to learn Adobe InDesign to do that and learn how to self-publish. And so it, every aspect of it, I took my time to learn it. And so for me, learning, if I'm always learning, I'm happy. If I, if I feel like I'm not learning, I feel stagnant and then I'm unhappy. So just learning each aspect of it and then finally seeing it on Amazon was like, Wow, I can't, I can't believe I did that because I, I didn't think I could. I didn't like I didn't know anything because I always had a publisher. They always did that. All I did was do the recipes. That was all I did. But now I did everything. I was like, okay. So it's, you know, yeah, it was hard work. And maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't look good, as good as if a publisher did it. But I think that the entire process was so worth it to know that I could do the photography. I could do the graphic design and whatever else I did, you know, get it onto Amazon, which, you know, is also a, a learning curve, um, was just a, a good endeavor and, you know, good learning experience. I love everything you just said there. I love your, that philosophy about life. As long as you're learning, right. And you're like, you're putting yourself out there. Who cares if you fall and you, you know, you skin your knee. And even if you fail, at least you're out there swinging away and you're trying Mm -hmm. And look what you've been able to create. Yeah, maybe have taken you two years, but wow, you got this fantastic masterpiece and it just launched what, October 5th? October, uh, well, I, I had to do that for Amazon reasons, but it was, the official date was October 18th. That's when the Kindle uh, was published. Um, the, the, the hardcover was a different story because Amazon makes you publish early if they, they have to approve it. And I didn't want to have them approve it on October 18th. If there was a problem, I would have. So there wasn't a problem. But but so I did it early for the hard, hard cover just in case because they make you go straight to publishing. They don't give you that period. They do that for the Kindle. They give you a period of they do pre-sales for Kindle. They don't do pre-sales, pre-orders for hardcover. So I had to launch that a little bit early. But October 18th was my chosen date. What did you What did you do to celebrate the 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 finished product here? Anything? Did Did somebody cook for you? That is such a good question because I never celebrate. That is such a good philosophical and maybe a psychological question about celebrating. It's a great win. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, I I didn't, and because I never I never think it's good enough. And, and so maybe that's, you know, that's something that I have to work on. Yeah, I should have. I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. I should have celebrated. I didn't. Oh, you need to take Sean and your husband and you guys need to go to like Crossroads or something and celebrate. I love Crossroads. Yeah. Love Crossroads. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I should. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you Listen, I know the process as well. I haven't done, you know, self-published, but in writing now four books, you're never done, but at some point you just have to finish. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what I did eventually. I just said, all right, it, it is what it is. I'm getting it out there and, you know, let it be. Absolutely. You know, I knew that. I knew that after two years, I said, okay, you, you're done. 
you cannot work on this any longer because you keep going through it and you're trying to find a little mistake and it's like, okay, enough, you know. You have done an absolute gorgeous job on this. I highly recommend it. And the fact that it, you know, it's, it's salt, oil, sugar-free. For those that, you know, want it, it's also gluten-free. As you said, you won't know the difference, but it's just gluten-free, which is a, a nice thing for those that are sensitive to, mm -hmm. to gluten. Right. And, and you have such a, an incredible variety of, of recipes in here. Do you know, cause I, I have not counted them up. How many recipes are there? I think it's about 60. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. About something yeah. like that. Well, well and, I, and, and that's what I love about it. It's like each section, it's very palatable. Each section has like five to eight recipes. It doesn't have like 20 and you're like going, whoa. So it's, it's not overwhelming by any, by any stretch. So where can people go to find and learn more about you, Debbie? They could go to www.debbieadler.tv and they could, um, I give a, if you, if you opt in, I can give you eight that you get 18 free recipes just by doing that. Uh, okay. if you just want to, you know, uh, get your feet wet and see what I do. Just 18 free recipes. If you opt in, I'm on Facebook at sweet Debbie Adler. I'm on uh, Instagram at plant.base.debbie.adler. And, um, and that's it. I think, well, yeah, I think those are all the platforms I have right now. Fantastic. We'll, we'll be sure to post all those in the show notes Thank you. Uh, for the Thank episode so for people that want it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, well, Debbie, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for joining me on the plant strong podcast and, and all the wonderful work you're doing and, Congratulations on this huge win that you've gotten out into the the whole food plant-based world. It is a it's a masterpiece and I insist that you celebrate. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Rip. Really, this was such an honor and, and a pleasure talking to you and I'm glad we both like dinosaur kale and arugula. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> me <laughs> makes me, me too. Good. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much. It was really fun talking to you. You too. Will you give me a little fist bump and plant yeah, strong? Sure. There Boom. you go. Okay. <laughs> Debbie's book, The Mediterranean Plate, is now out, and we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for you. As you heard, this project was a one-woman show, and it's obvious that she poured her heart, soul, and taste buds into this project. What started as a mission to help her son has turned into a career of helping thousands regain their health and get creative and confident in the kitchen. Thanks so much for listening today and always keep it plant strong. See you next time. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.